0: From American Awakening, this is Signs of Life.
1: Hello, 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 America. It is the American Awakening Squad Signs of Life podcast. We're here every day to tell you guys, uh, if no one else is going to tell you today, we're here every day, black, white, Latino, Asian, the whole crew, to tell you that God loves you. He's got a purpose. Native American. (laughs) Oh, oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. No, I'm just saying you forgot, you forgot, you forgot my love over there. You know, and you gave all the
2: other, you know, races some love, but you gotta, you gotta get everyone included in there. <laughs> Ouch!
1: Ouch! Major step back. Major step I just back. Okay. Around. Can, can I'm we, only a quarter. Can, I don't can know we what the rerun three this? Are. Can we rerun this? Whole oh no, it's live. I'm, I'm sorry, it's live. That's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> all right. So you know what I was trying to say was that we're gonna tell you every day that God loves you, Uh, you've got purpose, meaning, and significance in your life, and you're going to get through this. Uh, You're made for this time, and... uh We've been through stuff like this before, so every day we're going to figure out ways to tell that to you. And uh, today, we're going to launch you as we normally do with our house worship band, uh, Josh Jacob. And we got the special Nashville feed coming on at the end of the show. Looking forward to going back to Dan Hazeltine and a special musical guest. More to come on that, but first, over to Josh down. Tell me. Well, thank you, Josh. The good thing about having uh, special Nashville guests on the air is that we've got special Nashville guests on the air. Uh, the bad thing is we don't get to hear from Josh Jacob again at the end of the show. Uh, but tune in tomorrow. You'll hear more of Josh. Um, and I just want to give a quick shout out to our friends in the backstage in Nashville, Dan Hazeltine and Andrew Osenga. So excited to have you. I uh, can't wait to hear from you at the end of the show here. But first, we've got some other important things to bring you, and I'm going to now kick it over to Pastor Joel Sirby in Gainesville, Florida. Tell us a thing or two about how we're supposed to look at life today,
3: man. All right. Thanks, John. So bringing you our daily dose, a little drop of truth and hopefully some hope and light into your day. So this morning I was speaking with a leader of a a Christian camp uh, in our area, a good friend, and all of their retreats, all of their meetings have been canceled at least through May. Summer camp is very much in question. And there's any small business or business person right now is feeling the same kind of, of anxiety, the same kind of fact of things being canceled and all of these questions about the future and it's not just small business people it's all of you who are out there who are servers and hourly workers who have lost your jobs who have been furloughed laid off man we are feeling you and there's this time that just feels like an insurmountable challenge these organizations and and individuals trying to figure out how to go forward and yet my friend today that I was speaking with was at incredible peace he was desperate he was uncertain but also at peace. So how do these things work together was the question that kept coming to my mind. And when I think about what it means to love God, to be in a relationship with the God who is the God of the universe, the creator that we believe in, there's a theme that's come up for me over and over in my life, and that's desperation. You know, most of us have hit a point in our life at some point, and most of us already have been there. Some of us have been there many times where we just don't know what to do in a certain situation. We felt helpless or trapped, defeated, scared. You might feel that way right now. And what we know in moments like that, when we come up against a moment like that, is that we can't get ourselves out of the jam that we're in. You know, sometimes it's a literal physical problem that we're faced with. Sometimes it's just emotional, mental, spiritual helplessness. We feel like we're caught up in our own heads, and we begin to tell ourselves lies, or rather, I think the evil one, our enemy of our soul, tells us these lies about how things are going to turn out. Maybe it tells us that it's our fault. We can't believe how badly we've screwed this up or how terrible this whole situation is going to turn out. But here's some hope for you today. I've found that if we can muster just enough energy to cry out in desperation in those times, and sometimes even when we can't cry out in desperation, God responds. When we're at our most desperate for God, it's then that he's most near. And in a state of desperation, I found that there's this interesting parallel at work between submission and trying to do it ourselves. You know, when you're desperate, you're basically going to do one of two things. You either start crawling and scratching for every last bit of life that you can get and hold on to the semblance of control that you think you've got, or you surrender and you give up and you're exhausted and you know there's nothing else you can do. That's the type of desperation that I think I've seen over and over that God uses when we finally admit that we can't do it on our own. Desperate people seek the help of others. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's a vulnerable place to be because the wrong kinds of people can get your attention. The wrong kinds of influences can get your attention. But God brings us to life when we come in desperation to him. And so I found that in my own life. And I just want to encourage you today that he is a loving, compassionate, kind God who wants an exceeding intimacy and closeness. And there's something crazy about when we are completely desperate, he comes very near to us. And that's my prayer for you today, that you would experience the nearness of God in a time of complete desperation. Grace and peace to you, friends. That's your Daily Dose. Back to you, John.
1: So you're dialing us into a paradox there, which is uh, no, nobody wants to be desperate, right? No, nobody wants to have that bad feeling. And yet what you're saying is if it's if it's leveraged the right way, if it's turned the right way, uh, that we can have our our, our moment of, of greatest nearness to God. One of those mind stretchers, yeah. um, which you, you sort of know is true, but you kind of hate the fact it's true um, when you're in these moments of desperation, I think. Uh, right. But, but right. a really, really good word there, Joel. Thank you so much. Now we're going to go from Florida over to Maui and our good friend, Jeff Bethke. Hello, yeah. Jeff. How's it going,
2: guys? What a jump, right? Florida to Maui, uh, kind of the only two places we can probably go outside in this time of day, you know, and it's 80 degrees outside, loving it and grateful. Um, hope you guys are doing well today. Something to chew on. Uh, and I, I think this is interesting because this will connect to actually what Joel was talking about, and I love how, how uh, God works like that. And this is me thinking about the pertinence right now of everyone around the conversation of work, right? We're all kind of displaced in regards to work, having to ask bigger questions than we tend to have to ask in work. And there was an article I read last year, actually, in The Atlantic. It was one of my favorite articles of the year. Um, I believe it was called The Religion of Workism by Derek Thompson. Fascinating article. Some of the stuff I'm going to reference will be from that. So if you want to go read the whole thing, just Google it. It should come up first. But I think it's more pertinent now than it even was then. And what he talks about is how in an America and in the West, we've made this religion— and kind of carved our identities out of our work more than we ever have in the past. And I talk about this in one of my books, too. There was this economist John Keynes in 1930, and he actually wrote this entire essay called The Economic Possibilities of Our Grandchildren. And the whole argument of the essay was that because of labor-saving devices, time-saving devices, because of innovation and technology and the Industrial Revolution—this is in 1930, by the way— we're going to have so much free time on our hands that we it'll be absurd to work more than 15 hours per week because we'll have so much time, so many things we've invented that have helped us or saved us. Now, uh, we just die laughing, right? Because how's that going for us? <laughs> Almost 100 years later, is 15-hour work week. Our peak, I would say probably not. And this started us down a path of where this, this kind of this bait and switch, where we think that all of these things are going to save us time when actually they kind of suck more time from us. A phone would be a good example of that. Now it's supposed to give us more access to answer emails and do things faster and get rid of them faster. When in regards now it does the opposite. And the core argument of Derek Thompson's article, which I love, is this, this line he says, where he goes, the real big problem is we made work about identity, not production. And he said, in the past, for all of human history, kind of before 1950, Work was about making things, and now work is about making us. For us, work has taken the place it should not in regards to identity formation. Now, it's part of our identity, right, in regards to who we are and what we do as our vocation, but it is not the truest thing about us. It is not who we are. And so my encouragement today— is might we lean into the uncomfortableness of that question right now? I think this moment is asking us to do that. We believe work is about making us, and so a lot of us, while it might be devastating in regards to what crisis and moment we're in with our job, it shouldn't be a crisis of identity. Um, and if it is, then let this be a season where we ask hard questions, understand the truth, that our truth and our identity is that we're children of God, right? It's not based on what we produce, but it's based on the relationship and the love of God that he gives us and he sends us. And it's exactly like what Joel said. I think of this analogy with what he said of the desperation. I think it was Watchman Nee, one of my favorite authors, who talks about this example of a, a lifeguarding school, right? I think he was kind of talking to a lifeguard friend, and this lifeguard friend said, when someone's drowning." He said, they're trained to not really try to fully save them until the minute they surrender and actually start going under. He goes, because if I try to save that person well, they're just going crazy, I get drug under too, and I can't save them. But you get really close, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and the minute that they actually surrender, boom, they're saved, drag them to shore, right? Um, and to me, I think that's a beautiful picture of same thing with our surrender to the Lord right now in this moment of, man, he's waiting for us to just give up. And that's actually when saving power comes in. And if we believe that, it'll change things. And so that's my thought for today and something to chew on.
1: So Joel brought us the idea that desperation will lead us to our our truest self. And and you're you're giving us a variation on that theme, Jeff, which is Awesome, and and I think what I take out of it is this idea that if we let ourselves be formed, um, you know, by by the truest factors, truest forces, then we won't ultimately have a crisis of identity. We, we know who we actually are, but but you're just right. So many of us, you know, hand up here uh, for myself volunteering first and foremost for, for the fact that I, I know I way too much, uh, you know, forge my identity and what I'm doing all the time. And and so what's great word about this, as far as I'm concerned, is the fact that if we allow it to, this crunch time of the next few months, and it's going to be months, guys, it's not going to be weeks, it's going to be months, this crunch time of the next few months will help us to settle back in the, our truest identities again. That's such a great word, uh, Jeff. Thank you so much for that, man. I really appreciate it. I want to announce something which I'm very excited about, which is that after uh, lots and lots of preparatory work, the podcast is actually live. You can find it on our Website. You can also find it on Stitcher and Spotify. You know, kind of a cruel April 1st, uh, April Fool's joke on us. Played early. Um, We thought we're going to be up on iTunes today, but uh, that's still a couple days away. But uh, we'll be up on all platforms by the end of the week. And check us out. The, The show will come out first in the morning. Actually, gets posted overnight, but you can hear it first in the morning. If you can't find it in this format. Um, And we want to be the people, um, as I said, at the outset, we want to be the people every day telling you, if no one else is going to tell you, you got purpose, you got identity. As Jeff told you, as Joel told you, as I'm telling you, um, you're made for this, you're made to overcome this, uh, and God loves you, God's got your back. So every day on the pod or on live stream, come check us out. All right, now we're going to kick this over to the the home team in, in Boston, taking it away from the road. Uh, to Calvin and Marissa to a segment we get to daily called Wow. So that's happening. Before I kick it over to you, Calvin, I got one I want to hit. I want to hit it regularly here for, for, uh, for those that folks that are in business, even in your own business, sole proprietor. Uh, independent contractor, a uh, small businessman. You know, one of the things we didn't hit was that the CARES Act of last week, you know, gives you relief to help pay your payroll and rent and all that in this time. So I'm going to just bring it up all the time for the next few days to a few weeks because if you haven't heard about it yet, tell your friends, make sure you know there is uh, government uh, support for you and your small businesses, even if it's a one-person business. So so we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about that. Just want to make sure I'm, I'm giving the uh, sound and the alarm bell on that one for
4: you. Calvin, over to you, friend. John, thank you for that. For everyone, what is up? As you know, we're coming at you with some headlines just to remind you of not only the good that we can find in the world right now, but also some of the real. So to start off, we have Facebook. Facebook has invested $100 million in news reporting uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, including $25 million for emergency relief funds for local news uh, via the Facebook Journalism Project, and then 75 million in marketing spending for news organizations globally. One Facebook post said that, and while almost all businesses are facing adverse financial effects from the crisis, we recognize we're in a more privileged position than most and we want to help. I think we all understand the importance of journalism, especially local journalism, as a means of community and communication. And I think for all of us, a connection to something bigger. So Facebook, thank you, guys. Um, in other news, we have Delta Airlines and JetBlue, love JetBlue, are stepping up to offer free flights for medical professionals traveling to where they're needed most. So Delta is coordinating free round-trip flights, which is... Big deal, and um, for qualified personnel to travel to Georgia, Louisiana, and Michigan. JetBlue is actually sending healthcare workers uh, and desperately needed supplies to areas that have been hit the worst, such as New York. So for all these flights, they'll begin in April and can be reserved up to three days in advance. For any medical volunteers interested in the opportunity, uh, we encourage you to find more information on Delta's website. Um, So for Facebook, Delta, and JetBlue, I think it's great to see that there are more and more of us coming together to to play our part. We may not all be able to offer the same thing, but but there is something we all can do. And so we thank you guys. And then for this next story, we actually might have to dig a little bit deeper to find what is good. Amazon, Instacart, Whole Foods, and um, other frontline workers are crying out for relief. Uh, Monday. Instacart workers stayed off the job in protest of demanding greater pay and better access to paid leave and uh, disinfectants. Amazon warehouse workers actually stayed at home for similar reasons. And Whole Foods marketing employees, um, they staged a sick out, which is interesting, a sick out in protest of what they saw as inadequate safety measures and insufficient pay for the risks that they're confronting. One worker, Vanessa, uh, who works for Instacart in Silicon Valley, said the workers are touching every single thing that a customer receives in their order. If we get sick, invariably, that means they're going to get sick too. This activism from the workers have inspired many people, but one particular person inspired is uh, Chris King, who's an activist in Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, he actually helped the co-workers submit a list of demands to the company, um, including Hazard Pay. He said that it made us feel like we actually have the power to do something like that. I think the activist in me is really excited um, to see the empowerment of these workers, but I think if we're willing to look a little bit deeper, there is evidence of life to be found. Um, Corona, like any other dramatic shift, in our external norms uh, causes us to reconsider the many things that we can often overlook. And perhaps in this moment, in this particular story, it's a, there's a vitally important question of who we're really supposed to be, who we can be, what does it look like to be together, um, whether that's between a leadership and their employees in an organization, or perhaps even in our families. So with that little teaser, I'm gonna pitch it back over to John and Marissa to introduce our discussion question of the day.
1: Yeah. Wow. Calvin, there there is a a universe in that one. Uh, The idea of, um, you know, every time there's a crisis, every time the deck gets meaningfully reshuffled, um, it really does um, change what's important and what's not important. What was important six weeks ago seems a whole lot less important now. And and, uh, the people that are on the front lines of these things, you know we appreciate them in ways that we didn't appreciate them. Six weeks ago. Now that's, you know, it's a little bit shame on all of us, uh, right? So so one of those things we got to bear in mind once we come out of this and, and careen into the next thing that's going to happen in life to all of us is to keep looking for the people that should be uh, appreciated, respected, um, and are important all, at all times. Um, so with that, uh, as a lead-in, over to our fearless leader every day, Marissa Prince.
0: Hey, everyone. Yeah, that that story, Calvin, is really great, and it really does highlight an element of one of our discussion questions today. Again, we all know where we are, social distancing. We are far away from family and friends, and we're inside, and we're trying to keep it together while we're on our own. But I think we know, at least if we can remember before corona, that basically, you know, you could be in close physical proximity with people and still feel like they weren't really there. Or, you know, you weren't there with them. You can, you can be next to someone, but still not really be with someone. And I think one of our, uh, one of our things that we're all wrestling with right now um, that I'd really love to hear from you guys about is, it's a very simple question, but I guess it's also really profound. What does it really mean, really, to truly and authentically be with someone to be with another person. Is it really possible for us to be with people in this moment, or is physical proximity a necessity to being with someone? Thoughts, guys? Hmm.
5: That yeah, one's, that's a big one, th- guys. That one's
1: beyond my pay grade. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm
3: gonna kick it over to the smart guys, Jeff and Joel.
5: <laughs> I'll jump
1: in.
3: You know, I, uh, I've i actually read a good bit of science on this one. One of my favorite authors on this topic is Kurt Thompson. You can check mm. him out if you're interested. He talks a lot about He's embodiment and, and the science and the brain science behind everything from like the proximity that Marissa's talking about to like the length of a hug. Apparently, seven-second hugs are a lot better than three-second hugs in terms of the actual health benefits. And so there's things like that, these physical things that that I think uh, are really important. And I, and I don't have an answer But I know that for me, like, I'm feeling that. And and so there's the physical side. And then there's like the the full emotional spiritual presence, which I think we can still do. And that's about like really listening, really dialing in, not being distracted. I mean, right now, when everything's going to Zoom, like, how hard is it for me to like actually dial in and stay focused on what's going on? I can just, you know, grab my thing, do this, do that, not really pay attention. So those are the two thoughts I have is like attentiveness is one thing we can give even when we're not physically present. But the physically present thing, man, it's hard. I don't know the answer. And I miss it. I miss it.
0: Well, yeah, I was just going to say it's interesting. I mean, we've covered a lot of stories, even in the short period of time on the show. But one of the stories that really stuck out most to me was um, two weeks ago, uh, there was that great author who decided that, you know, he just couldn't get it out of his head that, you know, the hourly workers and folks who lived on tips were were not going to be able to make the rent and So he used his platform to put a call out and to just say like, hey, does anybody, you know, have bills that they can't meet? And hey, does anybody have a little extra cash? And maybe they could, you know, help somebody out. And through doing that, he was able to really raise tens of thousands of dollars and really meet the needs of people. And so, yeah, this idea of what does it mean to be with people, right? There are a lot of different facets to this, but I know one way that we can be with people even now is trying to find ways to meet needs. Uh, That way through online was amazing. I know everybody's not going to do that, but really, even if it's just, I mean, (laughs) Even if it's just calling up a relative who, you know, always talks a lot and they're probably very lonely right now Mm. and like sacrificing a bit of your time, a bit of your attention, a bit of whatever to be there for someone to meet a need. Right now, it's important that we help each other meet each other's needs because that's what it really that's that's an element of being there. And so let's not forget that.
1: Why do I always come off our shows um, feeling like, like I need to improve in about three different ways? Um, <laughs> yeah, that one about you, using my time to call people. All right, you're right. And there go. is no <laughs>
0: condemnation for those in Christ <laughs> Jesus. Thank, thank you, <laughs> hey, thank man. you,
1: thank you very much, J- J- Jeff. You got something there? Not much. Just echoing what
2: um, Marissa and Joel said. Totally want to echo Kurt Thompson's work. It's very singular and rare in the Christian space. Uh, his his stuff's brilliant and amazing. And to Marissa's point too, I think the one thing I'm thinking of, I don't know why I thought of this example, because it's not super related, but kind of is of, you know, the Jeremiah 29, right? Of not the I have the, I know the plans I have for you, Lord, not that one. A couple verses before where it says, you know, to Israel, while they're in exile, while they're in Babylon, seek the welfare of the city and build it up there. Right. Um, and to me, that's an example of kind of the like, okay, it's not supposed to be this way. You are not supposed to be in exile, you are not supposed to be in Babylon. But while you're there, uh, you're gonna bring blessing, you're gonna bring love, you're going to lean into the circumstances as much as possible, not mm-hmm. revert away from the circumstances. And I think that's our mission right now. We are created to be embodied, we are created for physical touch, but we're also created for some levels of intimacy that don't always come through a physical embodied presence or can at least happen without a physical embodied presence, even though that's not the way we're created to be. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, just lean into that moment. Like, yes, it's okay to yearn and say, this is not how it's supposed to be while also learning. And I think learning some better habits of how we relationally connect. So yes, pick up the phone, shoot a text, get on a zoom prayer call, et cetera. And I think building those habits will allow us to take that out of this season into the season when it's actually how it's supposed to be and we'll be richer and deeper for it.
0: So that's what I would say. Come on, Jeff. That's right. <laughs> that's a strong. That's a strong word, I, I, I man. Gotta say,
4: that's a strong word. Something that seems to keep on coming up was this idea of like meeting needs, right, and being a, a pretty big part of being with people. But doesn't you know? Perhaps this shifts the conversation slightly, but like, is that also a, a sensitivity to to what people need? Aren't our needs? Can they be slightly different? For example. That, that grandma example, right that you gave Marissa to the grandma that that perhaps talks a little too much and and is feeling lonely at the moment, right is is there is there something about balancing also what they need at the moment because because like as Joel said, that perhaps what they need is a hug at this time with also caring for them in this moment because mm-hmm. perhaps the hug is not available. Whew.
3: It's tough. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that too, Calvin, especially, and I would love to see some of our viewers talk about this in the comments. I was talking to our friend Shane Claiborne, who has been, Mm. I mean, talk about embodying like serving up close with people who are needy. What do we do? I mean, people need up close touch sometimes. And I know we're like outsourcing all of that to our medical professionals right now, but man, I don't know. Like there's needy people who need the touch of Jesus and he went to the lepers. He could have got it. So that's a tough one for me. I don't, I don't know an answer. I'd love to hear others' thoughts on that.
0: I always come back to uh, and it's it's difficult but really like if there is a god and god is speaking mm. what is god saying uh because if god's telling you to go be you know again frontline you're 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 in, you're in a hospital you're 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 bandaging people you're meeting the need that's part of the call in your life yes this is your hour um but if if the holy spirit isn't telling you to to go do that you You might just be trying to play the hero. And so, mm. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? God bring clarity. That should probably be, you know, one of our first and foremost prayers always, yeah,
2: well, one last thing I can jump That's in great. and say, too is we have to remember too, that Jesus is the ultimate embodiment, and we all have access to that right now. We have access to him right now. Um, you know, that if god if God believed that you could just, you know get what you need via tech, then he would have just kept Jesus in heaven and just <laughs> shut out the Bible down there. You know here you go. Here's the scriptures. But he didn't. He said, the full way to actually become fully human is for me, God himself, to put on flesh, embody himself. So I think that's really important that that example is very clear and forever sanctified and made that moment holy, that putting on flesh and embodying yourself is holy and sacred. And even in this moment where we can't have embodied relationships, Jesus is embodied to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's powerful and I think can sustain us through.
1: This has uh, gone to a uh, uh, really quite a space. Thank you for teasing out the question, Marissa. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, as, I, as I wrap this uh, time, I'm just going to um, try to speak to the sacred and all this, further to the sacred that you're all calling out. But um, just before I came on, on air this morning, I, I uh, uh, ran across a, um, a neighbor in my front yard, somebody that we've been friends with for a very long time, husband and wife. Uh, and um, they were out walking their dog, and we kept our proper social distance, of course. I um, <laughs> said, "You know, how how are how are things going?" Which is, of course, the question we all ask each other. And and he's they're like, "Well, pretty good." Um, you know, but but the husband and wife, the wife was spoke to me because the husband was on the phone making funeral arrangements. As it turns out, that uh, his ninety nine year old mom had died the day before. Um, now, the passing of anyone is always hard, of course. Um, at the same time, for this family, I think there's a sense of, you know, the the mixture of, of relief. She was deep into to dementia, um, and she had been, you know, alone um, in the um, you know nursing home for some time. Especially recently, and that's the point I'm raising here. Um, you could tell that they were mixed of mixed feelings. Of course, sad, but also, you know, they knew that she was in a in a better place, and and uh, God bless her for that. But one of the things they noted was, um, for me, um, was the idea that they thought that perhaps her her passing was was hastened um, by the fact that you know the last three weeks nobody could go talk to her. You know, yeah. now, now she's. You know, far enough along in, in her dementia that when they were able to go talk to her at the end of life, they, she could barely recognize them and, and didn't even necessarily respond. But, but nevertheless, it was a very touching idea, which I think, you know, captures some slice of, of what Marissa teased out, which, what Joel spoke to, what Jeff spoke to, etc., Uh, about this, you know, this, this incarnational relationship we have of being present, you know, embodied to other human beings and how, how much that matters. And I don't have any wisdom to take away from, from that. I don't have anything particular to say about that, just to, just to say it to honor, honor that, uh, uh, mother, uh, who, who passed and to think about her, um, in this moment. Um, and, you know, we said in an earlier show, um, you know we're all going to die. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to be grim about this, folks, but we're all—it's—it's about, it's about the one thing that we all know is going to—it's going to happen someday. So you know the the issue is you know how how is it that we live? You know in the days that we've got and and um, you know I'm, I'm we're we're trying to give you all encouragement as to, to how it is that we we think you're supposed to live um, with meaning and purpose and and a sense of God's love and and, and that incarnate presence for, in your life every day. So the tough thing is we're, we're so far behind in our, in our schedule because we're doing such great topics and hitting them so hard that I'm gonna have to cut out a whole bunch of great stuff here um, and so I can get to my friends in, in Nashville. We'll get to it tomorrow. But Bef- before I go over to, let's roll in Dan Hazeltine and, uh, and uh, Mr. Osango, please. Um, before uh, we, we hand it off to Dan, I'm just gonna mention one thing of, of importance. New things are springing up every single day in this wonderful, uh, American Awakening Signs of Life uh, experience. And hello, Andrew, and hello, Dan, there. Hello, hello. Hey there. And, oh, and yeah. so in this wonderful uh, uh, emerging experience, we get new partnerships every day. We got new participants every day. Four days ago, we didn't have Dan the Nashvilleian on with us. And now we do. I mean, how awesome is this? Uh, we got one new partnership coming yes. to the fore, which is with One America, our close friends. Great, great, great folks. you hear more about them. We're we're launching a, a mutual joint uh, together initiative called hashtag love your neighbor where we're going to be bringing with them um, stories about how people are doing that um, across this country people of faith people not of faith Um, he works with christians muslims and jews Um, bring them together making common cause from a christian perspective Uh, more to come on all that uh andrew hanauer and the one america partnership but for now i'm going to hand it over to dan take it away dan
6: Well, uh, from Nashville, Uh, we are here. You know, it's it's interesting. You guys were talking about um, all of, you know, we talked about the grandmother and passing. And in Nashville right now, we, uh, you know, we lost a a great uh, country singer, songwriter, Joe Diffie, just recently. Earlier before that, it was Kenny Rogers. Um, I had a squirrel that we were trying to, that fell out of a tree, actually, that my son named uh, Squirrel Haggard. And uh, that, 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 scroll past and now you know we're we're actually we're all praying for for john prine right now who's uh who is also right currently uh Trying to mend from this uh, this coronavirus, so we're all. I think we're all feeling that uh, that kind of fear in that sense. So it's really a privilege for us to be able to bring you some music from Nashville, just give you a little bit of something to uh, to help you enjoy the day with a little of beauty um, amidst some uh, some interesting and uncertain times. And so it's it's a great privilege to, for me to introduce uh, our our guest today, who is uh, Andy Osenga, Andrew Osenga. Andrew's been in the music world and part of the cultural conversation for a long, long time. I think really starting a little bit before 1998 with his band called The Normals. And then uh, from there, you know, he's just been one of these guys that has been making music consistently for years and years. He did a a great great kind of short stint with the group Cademan's Call and wrote and produced some of their music and was part of their touring ensemble. Worked with Andrew Peterson. Uh, A lot of people know Andrew Peterson from Behold the Lamb, which is kind of his Christmas presentation that he does every year. And then uh, he's done some, you know, revisiting some old hymns through the Indelible Grace movement. And then as a solo artist, Andy has just created, I I think when I was counting, I think there was nine albums, nine solo albums and four EPs. Uh, just in that same span amidst working with all those other artists. Uh, But what I know about Andy is just that he and his family are just incredibly gracious, uh, full of wisdom. Uh, They love supporting great work across and around the world. And uh, Andy is just a super talented musician, songwriter, communicator. Beyond that, he's got a a podcast of his own that uh, is called The Pivot. I was able to be uh, on that Podcast and it talks all about transitions from one career to the next and different kinds of things like that. And it's just a great privilege to have him on. And so I'm glad to have Andy with us today. So, Andy, let's talk for a second. Uh, I want you to tell me what you're up to these days amidst your own sort of quarantine. What's going on? First of all,
7: thank you, Dan, for those kind words. Uh, I had a poster of Dan on my wall when I was in high school, Dan and his friends, because I was a giant Jars of Clay fan. So, uh, (laughs) That that was nice. Um, But these days, uh, I I am the director of A&R at Integrity Music, which is a worship record company. So we make uh, records of songs that that go out to the church for churches to sing. Um, And my job there is to uh, oversee the artists and the songs and to make sure that uh, we have the best songs and we're telling the best stories. And uh, just to get to shepherd artists through that process. And I deeply love uh, getting to do that work, particularly developing younger artists. So that's that's kind of what I spend most of my time doing nine to five, and then um, make music in the midst of that and outside of that.
6: Excellent. Well, Andy, it's so good to have you with us. Um, mm-hmm. We'd love to hear you play a song because I know even in the process of of you know fostering the careers and creative uh, whims of other artists, you as in yourself have you know amassed such a huge collection of songs. Um, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, yeah. Play us a couple songs, good sir. All
7: right, thanks. <laughs> I'll play one. That, um, this is it feels appropriate right now. Um, I went through a season a couple years ago where it felt like all the doors that used to open for me stopped opening. Uh, the things that used to work had stopped working, and I, I feel like that's kind of how we all feel right now. And I heard somebody say this scripture uh, from the book of Joel where um, these locusts come and they eat everything and then... A few more herds of, locust, herds, uh, of locusts come, <laughs> and they eat uh, everything that's left. And then an army comes, and they burn everything after that. And uh, sometimes we have days and years that feel that way. But after after that happens in that scripture, uh, some more horrible things happen. And eventually it says, And the Lord heard the cries of His people. He will redeem the years the locusts have eaten. Mm-hmm. And... Um, That just stuck with me. I I probably said that to myself 80 times a day. He will redeem the years the locusts have eaten. And so I feel like that might be something that's a blessing for people right now. So this is a song called The Year of the Locust, uh, which is a title that ensures this is going to be a big hit on Christian radio.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Can you hear that okay?
6: Yeah. All
8: right. Try our hardest not to think about it. Who are we fooling? We never stop. The longing, the hurting, the doubting. Worn out from waiting for a parachute drop. Hey you, in the reflection of a rear view of a hit and run at the drive through Slow down, where you're chasing isn't something, it's a screenshot of a rumor in town. And the spirit moves upon the waters Take comfort and rest In the heart of an a civil war And you're taking a beating Blood red on your chest He will restore the years The locusts have eaten The locusts have eaten talk about it we smile over coffee and turn to go too worn down to reach out to another too dried up to tend the ground where we need to grow our plans are a lost key to a hotel where we checked out to go find ourselves and it's time and it always was and it will again but we'll never be who we were back then when the spirit moved up on the waters Take comfort and rest When the heart is in uncivil war And you're taking a beating Blood red on your chest He will restore the years The locusts have eaten The locusts have eaten We're aching for Eden take comfort and rest when the heart is an uncivil war and you're taking a beating blood red on your chest he will restore the years the locusts have eaten the locusts have eaten we're aching for eden
1: That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks for that. one.
6: Yeah. Wonderful. So, uh, you, Annie, you mm. got a, a good family, bunch of kids. You guys hanging out? Okay. Are you things uh things crazy or are uh, okay?
7: Yeah, we're doing all right. We're just um, I uh, I work out of a space called the Art House, which is Charlie Peacock's uh, oh, studio. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thankfully, I have a room I can go to that's not in my little house. <laughs> nice. Uh, time to play one more or no, we we would love to have you play one more song. Oh yeah. You got one for us? Oh yeah. Yeah. Speaking (laughs) of, of my children, um, I, I'm going to grab a different guitar.
1: I didn't know you were a Charlie Peacock, uh, part of that, uh, that tribe, but Charlie's a dear, dear old friend. So it's awesome, isn't he? He is special man.
7: So yeah. So this space I'm in right now, this was his old office. It's been retreated to be a studio. So I get to work out of here, which is, uh, daunting to say the least. Um, but yeah so I had this realization a few years ago that that whether or not anybody listens to my music now or uh, in the future um, my children will I have three daughters and my daughters will at some point probably spend some time with the work that I've done because I, I feel like they're that's how they're gonna get to know some more about who I was and who they are and and that changed how I approached making music and really anything that I put out into the world because they are going to find these things and it it gave me this understanding that any work that I do I feel like these songs I write that they're like messages in bottles floating out there for my children and so it's inspired me to try to write things that will encourage them years later uh if I'm not in the room they don't live in my house anymore so this is one uh, that's specifically written for that and it's uh yeah it's called Beautiful
8: Places. Ashes in beautiful places, offer the blue skies the glory of your faces. You are a part of this kingdom and creation. Scatter my ashes in beautiful places. Seattle don't forget your passport go hiking around Vancouver then take a car and drive north get there early for the ferry horseshoe bay to Langdale it's 85 kilometers to Egmont i sure someone will meet you there oh To stand on the dock Where I kissed your mother I want you to know That we were alive And we loved each other There was fear There was adventure Romance and hurt feelings There were people Trying to do their best There always were There always will be want you to find your own sacred spaces where you go when you need to remember what truth and freedom and grace is
5: so grab some life insurance
8: money call your sisters and cross things off the list scatter my ashes in beautiful places It's the last gift I can give you, beautiful places.
6: So all good. Right. Thank you, Andy. Thanks so much for being a part of the show with I us. Love that. Yes. Whew. Wow. All right. I guess we'll kick it back to you guys up in the great north. Mm-hmm. And uh
1: <laughs>
6: yeah, let's keep good this, to be with you all. Let's
1: keep this Boston-Nashville connection alive. Um, yes. Andy, thank you so much for being and with you. us. I'm honored. Yes. Um that those are both uh haunting, beautiful, touching. Uh, calling mm-hmm. on these themes that we've been talking about of of uh, you know identity and yesterday's uh, theme of legacy and 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 uh, who what it is we're trying to leave behind and and this belief that we're made for something uh, bigger than this and 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 the the locust uh, days will be redeemed. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're gonna leave with you all here um, out of the Boston American Awakening Signs of Life headquarters here. I thank you all for being with us again, uh, day over day. Just remember, God loves you. You've got purpose, meaning, significance. He's going to bring you through this. And uh, in the meantime, keep fighting the good fight out there, everybody. Until tomorrow, look forward to it. Thanks very much.
0: Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Seerby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, americanawakening.us.